Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? We are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's Song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, back with you again today. I'm a United Church of Christ pastor in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee and Erie peoples. I'm the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally, and this podcast is a project of SURGE faith and is particularly designed for white people, white people talking to other white people about race and white supremacy. We believe white people like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We'd love to hear from you, and especially from folks of color, about how we're doing. The word is resistance. If you're listening to this podcast, I probably don't need to tell you that the political situation we find ourselves in right now is so serious. We need everyone to be doing their part. For white folks, we've heard time and time again from movement leaders of color, y'all go get your people. We need white folks to be committing to anti-racist work and undermining white supremacy in 2020. I'm proud to be staff of showing up for racial justice because this is exactly what Surge is trying to do. We have big plans for 2020. Believe me, I've been working on my work plan for several weeks now. We've got big plans and we need your help. If you're committed to getting white folks on board for dismantling white supremacy, please make a donation to Surge um, when you can. You can donate online at showingupforracialjustice.org. There's a main link. There's also a link on our podcast page. Thank you for helping support this podcast and for organizing white people to show up for racial justice and the new world we're building together. I'm so appreciative of each and every one of you. last with you in early December, it already felt like the end of the world. And now just a month later, Australia is on fire. The U.S. president was impeached for corruption and while awaiting his Senate trial has decided to threaten war with Iran. The end of the world again and again. I ask myself how much one heart can hold. 
stretching to not go numb to so much grief and sadness and anger and dismay. Honestly, my heart doesn't know whether to hope or despair most days. I have to remind myself that the world has ended many times. That maybe this time the world ended in 1492 and we're living in its death, last death rattle while the cries of something new are peeling out from the ashes and rubble. Maybe it's strange, but I've never been more grateful than I am now for the stories in our Bible, because these are the stories of people who lived through their world ending over and over again and found ways to survive, found ways to resist, found ways to rebuild, found ways to learn from their own mistakes, found ways to expand their visions, found ways to hold each other accountable, found ways to live lives of meaning in the midst of violent imperial oppression. And they are still here, surviving, even thriving, and I'm grateful we have these stories of how they got over. We have stories like that in our readings for today, and I want to focus on two of them. One is from the prophet Isaiah, and the other is the baptism of Jesus. So let's start with Isaiah. Here's the reading from chapter 42. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This vision from Isaiah comes as the people of Israel, the servant in this text, are coming through the other side of their world ending. After Babylon has destroyed Jerusalem and carried off many of the people, into exile. A new thing is springing forth. There are signs that something new is coming, which is the return of exiles to Judea and the rebuilding of their community. There is something on the other side of the end of the world. What I love about this text 
which is called one of the servant songs in this part of Isaiah, is the delight and tenderness and belovedness that the divine is showing her people. The servant, again, is the whole people. Even though we get this he pronoun, it's the whole collective being sung to here. The whole collective that the divine delights in and has never given up on, has held by the hand, has believed in. The divine believes this collective that has lived through something so harsh has something to teach the peoples around them. Maybe even those same peoples, nations, who have oppressed them. Delight and tenderness and belovedness. There is tenderness in the care for the bruised reed and the sputtering candle. Belovedness in being held and chosen and not forsaken. There is divine delight in the collective taking action for justice. Did you notice that line? He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. That line always strikes me as strange when I encounter this text because, gosh, I've spent a lot of time lifting up my voice in the street as an act of justice. I imagine you have too. It's one of the most common calls to action we have, to mobilize, to march in the streets, to make our voices heard. It's the first thing I saw after the threats to Iran started, the call to mass street marches and vigils with more being planned. And yet here's this prophet saying the people will bring forth justice to the nations, but not by lifting up their voices or chanting in the streets. Wait, what? I mean, what? So look, I'm not about to tell us that mass demonstrations aren't an important action in the work for justice. I'm not even sure that's what Isaiah really means anyway, especially when by chapter 58 he's all shout out and don't hold back. That said, I do think there is some wisdom here for us. I remember back in 2001 and 2002 going to multiple mass marches in Portland where we lived at the time, Portland, Oregon to protest Bush threatening war with Afghanistan and Iraq. Millions and millions of people marched against those wars all over the world. We didn't stop the wars. In fact, they are still ongoing and contributing to the situation now with Iran. I remember my sense at the time that here we all were out in the streets marching and then we all went home. Maybe we recycled our protest posters. We all went home and nothing really changed. No deeper ask was made of us. Maybe this is an overly broad generalization about everyone everywhere at that time, but it was true for the very white world I was living in at the time. Go march. Go home. Maybe call your congresspeople and vote. No deeper ask was made of us. Now, I'm not saying mass marches aren't an important tool. I know many folks are radicalized in those moments and find their way into deeper organizing work, and that's important. But I often think of what my pastor in the mid-90s, Reverend John Fife, said once in a sermon. 
It must have been when Clinton was threatening war with somebody, maybe when he bombed Iraq in 1998. And yes, you should see a pattern here. Reverend Fife said, Of course we don't want war. But what we do want makes war inevitable. All those millions of people marching against another war just a few years later, nobody organized us to address how what we want made war inevitable. What white supremacy and imperialism want, safety and security, unlimited access to resources, massive profits, to feel unique, exceptional, like the good guy with the moral right to police the behavior of the whole entire world. What white supremacy wants, embodied in us, particularly us white folks, makes war inevitable, makes children in concentration camps inevitable, makes environmental devastation inevitable, makes police violence inevitable. You see what I'm getting at. I think what Isaiah is trying to tell us is that if the people want to bring justice to the nations, all the marches in the world aren't going to end war if they aren't tied to more action, to deep organizing work to dismantle the systems that make war inevitable, including the ways those systems are embedded in us as white people. Isaiah is saying what black, indigenous, and immigrant organizers have been telling us all along, pushing on our movement to understand how everything ties to white supremacy and how action and organizing to dismantle systems are necessary for any long-haul change and how deep the work is we white folks need to do. The actions Isaiah names in this text are deep dismantling actions Actions that undo what unjust systems make the people think they want. Actions that require organizing people for whole new ways of being here in the aftermath of the end of the world. There is tenderness towards the earth. A gentleness with plant life that is bruised with the elements that bring nourishment and light and warmth and approach to living that means good news for vulnerable coastlands. There is building a world that is accessible for all, which is how I want us to interpret open the eyes that are blind, centering a disability justice practice that doesn't treat blindness or the blind as a problem to cure, but builds a world that is accessible to those without sight. And there is the liberation of prisoners. Yes, the divine is an abolitionist, because in this new world springing forth, there is no place for prisons, which means there are new ways of practicing accountability that don't rely on incarceration and punishment, and there is the abolition of criminalizing logics that put people in prison simply for existing. And all of those mean we have a new understanding of what it means to be human, of who we are meant to be to each other and the earth. That's the new world springing forth, earth-centered, disability justice-centered, abolitionist-centered, rooted in tenderness, Belovedness. There is something 
on the other side of the end of the world. We can build it together, and the divine will delight in us. Before Jesus has even become a teenager, his world has ended more than once. Even in the womb, before Joseph got himself together, his life was under threat. He escaped slaughter from Herod by fleeing into Egypt. And when the family finally returns to Judea after Herod dies, Joseph intuits that Archelaus isn't any safer than his dad. And so they go north to Galilee finally landing in Nazareth. In Matthew's Gospel, this is all we know of Jesus' life before his appearance as an adult at the Jordan River in today's reading. A childhood as a refugee, a migrant, fleeing threat after threat. I wonder what it does to a person, what impact that has. How did it shape Jesus into the person who feels the urgency to get baptized in the waters of freedom of the Jordan? What memories in his spirit and his body is he carrying into those river currents? Here's the story from Matthew 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, Suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The world had ended for Jesus already, many times. Given what Rome was doing in Judea to Jesus' people, I can only imagine what he had seen, what he already knew, how his heart had already stretched, maybe even broken, and how all those world endings led him to the Jordan River, insisting on being baptized in the freedom waters of his people. He insists this is necessary, proper to fulfill righteousness, Righteousness being a fancy Bible way of saying justice, like he's saying, I can't do my justice work right without wading in the waters of freedom. And so here he is, committing his life to the work of justice. I wonder, given all he'd seen and all he'd lived, if he really needed to hear those words, you are my beloved. I wonder what ache in him needed that reminder. Beloved. As if he couldn't begin until he'd heard that word. Beloved. Beloved. 
beloved. Belovedness is what empires always try to steal from us. What had Rome tried to steal from Jesus that he felt he could not begin his work without wading in the waters of freedom, letting belovedness wash over him in currents of divine presence? Here at the end of the world, as we look ahead at a daunting new year, as we commit to the same movement Jesus waded into, maybe we need to hear the same words. Whiteness steals our belovedness, even for white people, telling us our worth, our value is only measured by our productivity, our consumption, our wealth, our unachievable perfection, our thin, perfectly able bodies, our perfectly intellectual objectivity, our perfectly defined binary genders. Belovedness the divine delighting in us for our mere existence exactly as we are, is present in both the Isaiah and Matthew readings. Because belovedness flows through all those deep dismantling actions Isaiah describes. Creation is beloved, humans are beloved, all bodies are beloved. And belovedness flows through the freedom waters that baptize not only Jesus, but every single person who is at that riverside. Maybe belovedness is what makes them freedom waters. We are beloved. We do this work because we believe in belovedness. Here at the end of the world, as we face a daunting new year, perhaps like Jesus, this is where we need to begin. Remembering our belovedness. So I want to share with you this blessing from artist, author, and minister Jan Richardson. If you can, stop what you're doing for a moment and let these words wash over you. Beloved is where we begin. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are, beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears, and if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. That is what this journey is for. I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of sun or the fall of the night. But I can tell you that on this path, there will be help. I can tell you that on this way, there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this, that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear and with their curious insistence whisper our name, Beloved, Beloved, Beloved.
There is something on the other side of the end of the world. That's the new world springing forth. Earth-centered, disability justice-centered, abolitionist-centered, rooted in tenderness, belovedness. We can build it together. I'm going to include some resources from the Catalyst Project, Justice Before Peace, and Empower to respond to the U.S.-Iran conflict. These pieces offer us political education, frameworks, and actions, those deep organizing actions Isaiah talks about, as we collectively figure out ways to respond to this crisis. By all means, go to the marches and then talk to people there, even people you don't know, about what more we can do. Maybe pull together a study group with the pieces included here and committing to deeper action based on those readings. Make the deeper ask. Respond to the deeper ask. And, beloved is where we begin. What are some practices, some rituals you can do with your people to remember your belovedness, to remind each other of our belovedness? If you're a baptized Christian, maybe ritualize a renewal of your baptism with your own commitments to building up a new world, dipping your hands or your feet in water. Maybe read Jen Richardson's blessing to each other. Maybe just tell your people you love them. Beloved is where we begin. We do this work because we believe in belovedness. Thanks as always for joining me from wherever you are on this good earth. Let us know how your action goes. We'd love to hear from you by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages. Next week, Margaret Ernst will be back with us with the resistance word for January 19th. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. Give us a like there or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. Finally, a huge thanks as always to our sound editor this week, Max Pearl. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice, and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap.